This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. Get your copy at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, January 3rd. Hello, Alice. How are you? Hello, Kim. Happy 2019. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I just can't believe it's already 2019. No, it's it's very exciting. Um, how was your Christmas? It was good. It was very quiet. I read a lot of books. I hung out with my family. We didn't travel much, uh, so it was it was a good relaxing, uh, good relaxing break. Uh, how was yours? Um, it was good. I was trying to like wrap up my you know 2018 reading stats, which I sometimes tell people I don't care about, but I actually care about a lot. So uh, probably need the read harder journal. Hey, oh, um, but I, I read, um, dope sick, which I think I had talked about a little bit before. It's one of the, um, uh, Carnegie medal short. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. And it's, it's about the opioid epidemic and I'd really been wanting to like learn more about it. So I just finished that and it was so good. Oh, excellent. Did you get any books for Christmas? Oh, I did. I did. Uh, I got, uh, feminasty. By Erin Gibson. It's the complicated woman's guide to surviving the patriarchy without drinking herself to death. <laughs> um, it has an amazing 70s cover. Um, I got Mary Beard's latest, which is how do we look the body of the divine and the question of civilization. So, you know, like light reading. It's actually really short and it has like lots of color photos, which is wow. honestly what drove me. To- I was like, nice. oh, <laughs> into that. And then I got uh, The Assassination of Brangwain Spurge, by M.T. Anderson and Eugene Yelchin, which is actually, a, turns out, like a middle grade book, but it's got like medieval illustrations and it's about this elf that goes to the Goblin Kingdom to give them this treasure to stop them from fighting a war. It's so good. Uh, and then I got Legendary Ladies by Anne Shen, which is about like mythological women, because of course, and lastly, Educated by Tara Westover, your favorite. That is such a good haul of books for Christmas. I love it. That's so cool. Did you get um, any? My family like doesn't buy me books anymore because I have too many and they like 
yeah, they just, I think they're just too intimidated to do it. So the only times they ever buy books is if I happen to put them on a Christmas list. So I had two that my brother got me. Um, and one is called How to Draw Almost Every Day by Camo, who is a Japanese graphic artist. And it's just a book about like little doodle drawings because um, I want to practice that a little bit more. Uh, and then the one that actually people might actually be more interested in uh, was Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Mould. Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley by Charlotte Gordon, which is that big dual biography of the two Marys. Um, I got super into Mary. I've always been into Frankenstein and Mary Shelley, but after reading a graphic, um, um, uh, juvenile graphic uh, memoir about her, um, uh, or not memoir, biography, gosh, of her I'm last totally year. following you. <laughs> I'm glad someone is. Um, Mary's Monster is the name of the book that I read last year that I was really into. Um, I put Romantic Outlaws on my uh, Christmas list, and I was excited to get it. Although, man, it is a really thick book. So uh, I keep. That's good. I have like almost bought Romantic Outlaws like five times, and then I yeah. keep being intimidated by its size. And then I'm like, you need to actually read Frankenstein before First. you. <laughs> By uh, <laughs> another biography of Mary Shelley. I own like two and I haven't yeah. read them or Frankenstein. I just keep wanting to accumulate them. But the hot pink font on the front it's so of the good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. <laughs> I, was just, I picked it up. It's 547 pages of just like book. And then there's another, I don't know, like 100 pages of index and notes. So oh, it's uh, it's chunky. Uh, with that, I think we will hop into the the podcast. So we'll start the new year with some new books. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first with some of the ones you're excited about for January, Alice. Oh, sure. I've only got a couple uh, for the beginning of January. There's actually like a lot coming out um, late January, which is exciting. It's like we had the lull in December and then we're having this onslaught again. But one I'm really excited about is When Death Becomes Life, Notes from a Transplant Surgeon by Joshua Mesrick. So I saw the cover. It was really good. And then I was also like, I've always kind of been interested in you know, like sort of transplanting organs, not in personally doing it, but like how that works and like what the general process is. And I, I feel like I've heard so much throughout my life about how important it is to be an organ donor, but then I've heard some people be like, ah, so, you know, um, it's a, it's a good counter argument. <laughs> um, <laughs> But so this basically is it interweaves personal stories. It's by a transplant surgeon. It interweaves personal stories with the history of organ transplants. So like how we've gotten to this point. And the history, the way that they talk about it, at least, is not that old. It goes back like um, at least the part that I've read so far, it talks about like 150 years ago in terms of like close to where we are now. So like when they started doing all this stuff with like veins and sewing up blood vessels and like it, this very complicated stuff that sounds so hard. But so he goes into the operating room like with the book, right? He's like, you're doing this and then there's this thing and you have to make sure that like this gets tied off and then you have to move the spleen and you're just like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is intense. Um, but he's really funny. And which I was surprised by. And his writing style is really, really approachable. So I've been tremendously enjoying this book. He also looks at these questions like, um, how much risk should a healthy person be allowed to take to save someone she loves? Should a patient suffering from alcoholism receive a healthy liver? And like, what defines death? And what role did organ transplantation play in that definition? So there's like a lot in this book, but again, it's it's very readable. So uh, that comes out January 22nd from Harper. And again, it is When Death Becomes Life, Notes from a Transplant Surgeon by Joshua Mesrick. 
That sounds so good. I love I love memoirs by doctors. I think they're really interesting, especially when you get a doctor who is funny and can write well and really like gives you a peek inside of that. I just think it's super interesting. Um, that sounds really good. Um, so the first book that I'm going to mention is one that I haven't really gotten to like read or anything at all, but the subject and the title just got me really excited. So, um, so I'm going to talk about it. Uh, so the book is called Trailblazer, a pioneer- pioneering journalist's fight to make the media look more like America by Dorothy Butler Gillum. And this is a memoir by a black female journalist uh, looking back on her career and changes in the media landscape over the 50 years that she was a reporter. Uh, and so Dorothy Gillum is a, a journalist. She was the first African-American female reporter at the Washington Post. Um, and I, I don't know what year that was. I should have looked that up because I'm sure it's not nearly as far back as we wish that it was. Um, but the book talks about her um, life growing up in the American South, but really before like the civil rights movement had taken place. So um, I think that is super interesting. Just a person who it's, it's astonishes me almost that um, we could have people writing today that we're alive before civil rights actually happened. I just, I should know, I should know that that's a thing, but it surprised me anyway. Um, and then, um, the book is also about how she, as a journalist and a working mom tried to work to provide opportunities for other people to try and help change what the media looks like so that it reflects more what, um, United States looks like. Um, so I just think this sounds really interesting. I of course love memoirs by journalists. I love books written by journalists. And I think this perspective is one that is definitely going to be, worth uh, investigating and looking at too. So I think that book is out uh, January 8th, I'm pretty sure. And that is Trailblazer, A Pioneering Journalist's Fight to Make the Media Look More Like America by Dorothy Butler Gillum. That sounds so good. Awesome. Um, I have sort of a related like book mm-hmm. for my next book, uh, which although it's more on the academia side, meaning it's extremely on the academia side, but um, my pick is Thick. And other essays by Tressie McMillan Cotton. It came out, uh, came out? No, it's coming out December 8th. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let me just backtrack. Okay, so this is coming out January 8th. We are in a new blessed year um, from the new press. So Tressie Mc, uh, McMillan Cotton uh, is the award winning professor and author of Lower Ed. She is a fantastic presence on Twitter. If you don't follow her, you should. Um, so the sort of quote from the new press is that she is a modern black American feminist voice waxing poetic on self and society, serving up a healthy portion of clever prose and Southern aphorisms as she covers everything from Saturday Night Live, LinkedIn, and Barbecue Becky to sexual violence, infant mortality, and Trump rallies. Um, Rebecca Traster called her one of America's most bracing thinkers on race, gender, and capitalism of our time. Uh, that's enough for me. And um, <laughs> the essays that I've read so far in Thick are just like really smart and engaging and um, just like interesting, which is all I really want from a book. So uh, I I just got a copy. I pre-ordered it from um, Barnes and Noble because she asked people to pre-order her book. And you know what? Honestly, you know, it's that thing where people are like, you just have to like ask people to do stuff sometimes. And like, <laughs> I realize that like every author would probably like you to pre-order their book, but I think a lot of them, I don't hear them say it. So I, because I follow her on Twitter, she was like, do this. It'll help my thing. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> great. Um, there we go. But anyway, the cover's great. I know I always talk about that, but not all covers are great. So we got to highlight that. Um, again, it is thick, 
and other essays by Trustee McMillan Cottom. Excellent. Um, so my uh, second book is one that I just started reading today, uh, and it is excellent so far. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the book is called Inheritance, a Memoir of Genealogy, Paternity, and Love by Danny Shapiro, and it's out January 15th from NAF. Um, and one of the blurbs on the, the covers, uh, the yeah, one of the blurbs calls it a genetic detective story and a meditation on the meaning of parenthood and family. Uh, and so the premise of the memoir is that uh, Shapiro, at the um, behest of her half-sister, submitted her DNA to a website for analysis. I, I, I don't know if it was Ancestry or what, one of those websites. Um, and then she got the DNA test back, and it said that she was only like 50% of the thing that she thought that she should be like much higher percentage of based on her you know, family history that she knew. So she sent the, um, the DNA test back to have it compared with her half sister. And it came back to show that they did not have a parent in common. So basically the DNA test shows that her father is not really her father at all. Um, right. Yes. Gasp. Um, and so both of her parents are, have been dead for quite some time. So she can't even go to ask them like, what is this about? And so, uh, the book is about her, coming to terms with this and trying to understand it and then also trying to kind of figure out the mystery and put together pieces of information that she had heard from her family that at the time kind of didn't mean anything. But now in this new context of not really knowing her biology and her genetic history means something different. And so she's uh, investigating that and also kind of exploring just like what does it mean when the person that you thought was your family really isn't biologically your family anymore? What do you lose when you don't have that genetic connection to people anymore? Um, and it's, it's so interesting. It's really good. Um, and Danny Shapiro, actually, she's a, a memoirist that I have been meaning to read for some time because she's written a bunch of memoirs that all have sounded really good. Um, she wrote one, um, her first one, I think, was called Devotion, which is a book about finding religion and bringing that into her life. Um, and then one that she wrote pretty recently was called Hourglass, which is a book about marriage and memory. Um, both of those memoirs sounded really good, and I just never got around to reading them. So I'm excited to have this one. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very good so far. Um, so that is Inheritance, a Memoir of Genealogy, Paternity, and Love by Danny Shapiro out January 15th. I'd like to um, add to our, you know, sort of like, oh, this is a phrase that I will always like about a book. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to add genetic detective story because that's mm, fantastic. Yes. It is, yeah. Oh, and I almost forgot. Um, a book that I am like personally not super interested in, just because it's not my jam. Uh, but I think other people probably will be interested in is um, the truths we hold: an American journey by Kamala Harris. Um, this is her political memoir that's out January eighth, um, and it is described as a book about the core truths that unite us and the long struggle to discern what those truths are and how best to act upon them. Um, and I just like don't really read memoirs by current politicians. Um, I just, I don't find them super interesting, but I know that she's a really interesting person and has a cool story. And so people might be uh, intrigued by that one as well. And that's The Truths We Hold by Kamala Harris. So that is some early January new books. Um, and with that, we will switch gears into our weekly theme, which we have been calling like first as a joke. And now I think officially, uh, new year, new you. Uh, and that is books about like setting off the new year on a good track and your resolutions and goal setting and that kind of, uh, stuff. Uh, and I think we both have picked books that 
uh, have meant something to us or are sort of tied to what we are thinking about for ourselves this year, I would guess. Um, not to like put words in your mouth, Alice. Um, but the, the first book that I'm going to talk about is one that I finished reading over my Christmas break uh, that I loved very much. And it's called The Bullet Journal Method by Ryder Carroll. Um, and so if you are a person who is on Instagram or Pinterest a lot, you have probably seen people posting pictures and talking about bullet journaling. It's, I would say, like a trend right now. That's, that's probably fair. It's a big trend. Um, and people put these like very fancy like illustrations of these like elaborate notebook pages that have like doodles and all this other stuff. Um, and that is great for people who do it, but that is not what the core of bullet journaling is. And um, if you want to find out what the core of bullet journaling actually is, then this book is an excellent one because Ryder Carroll is the guy who sort of came up with the method and put up a video about it and told people how he uses it. I uses his journal, his notebook to, um, it's a, it's a, the bullet journal is a, it's a method of organizing tasks, thoughts, and plans all in one place. And by doing it, you can, um, as he describes it, track the past, order the present and design the future. Um, and so in the book, he talks about why he came up with the idea of bullet journaling in the first place, which has a lot to do with some of his own, uh, ADHD and kind of mental health struggles and trying to really like get himself organized that way. Um, so he talks about why bullet journaling is a useful organizational system. Um, he talks about like what it actually is, what the different pieces of a bullet journal are. Um, talks about how to put the ideas of bullet journaling into practice, and then expands on how to kind of personalize your bullet journal to really like make it your own and make it something that's important to you. Um, and I have been bullet journaling um, pretty regularly, I would say, for about three years now. Um, different kind of levels of decoration and commitment to it, but it has been a very helpful um, tool for me to stay organized and feel like I um, just keep track of the stuff in my life that's going on. And it's very satisfying to cross to-do lists off in a notebook. Um, so if you are curious about bullet journaling or you've been doing it and you maybe need a refresher or um, feel like you need some kind of push to get back to basics or what it's really about. I can't recommend highly enough um, the bullet journal method by Ryder Carroll. I enjoyed it immensely. Kim, that sounds so good. It <laughs> is. I, I, yeah, I love the notebook that I have. I, I finally in 2018, like got the whole year in a notebook, like for the last couple of years, I had done like half years here and there. And then I had gotten derailed for some reason. Um, and I finally like did a full year and it was just like incredibly satisfying to then like be able to look back at this notebook and see like, this is all the stuff I did and, um, do a little bit of memory keeping and journaling in it as well. So that's been, it's been very satisfying to me. So I, I recommend it a lot. I'm glad that you said that um, you don't have to do the fancy looking thing to do it because that's always super intimidated me about bullet journals. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I know that I'm not going to do that um, yeah. because my attention span only goes so far and it's not to the lengths of decorating a journal. So, no. um, and I know that some people are like amazing at it and love it and that's so cool, but it's just, that's not me. So hearing it instead that it's actually just this method of organization um, is actually really helpful. So yeah, I want to, I want to read the bullet journal method. Great. Yay. Um, my pick is actually very near and dear to my heart. 
Um, it is How to Break Up with Your Phone, The 30-Day <laughs> Plan to Take Back Your Life by Katherine Price. I feel like even compared to many of my peers, I am extremely addicted to my phone. Um, it's a little worrisome. When I started reading this book, I immediately started quoting, th- like writing down quotes from it because I was like, oh my gosh, yes, great. Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so... Catherine Price is saying, like, with our phones, like, we feel busy but ineffective, connected but lonely. And it's like, yeah. And then she said, smartphones have infiltrated our lives so quickly and so thoroughly that we have never stopped to think about what we actually want our relationships with them to look like or what effects these relationships might be having on our lives. Um, Which, again, yes. Like, and I think a lot of people kind of feel like, I should probably be on my phone less, but also don't really do anything about it. Um, which actually she talks about. So there's in the, in the book, there is a smartphone compulsion test, uh, which has 15 questions and you can do it. I think it's also available online. So if you just want to like check out if you should even get this book, which you probably should based on most Americans. <laughs> uh, but so apparently two thirds of Americans agree that doing a digital detox or periodically unplugging would be good for their mental health, but barely one quarter have actually done it. Uh, so if you are, uh, one of the other, I cannot even do the rest of the math for one quarter versus two thirds, but (laughs) if you're that other group, then you should again, get this book. Um, she said that she and her husband started doing this thing that I actually love called a digital Sabbath, which is where they put away their phones for 24 hours, like Friday to Saturday night. Um, I know. And she was talking about how at first they were like really antsy and like bored. And then after a while, like when they picked them up again, they were like, oh, we don't really want to pick them up again. And I was just like, oh, that's fascinating how quickly that can shift. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. once you're away from like the constant like, um, is it like serotonin or dopamine? What's the thing where we like see dopamine dopamine, um, from like checking your phone all the time and getting comments and stuff. Uh, So again, that the book is called How to Break Up with Your Phone. The 30-Day Plan to Take Back Your Life by Catherine Price. It came out 2018, and uh, it's probably – I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. <laughs> I saw that at the library, and I almost brought it home, and then I didn't. Um, but now I think I should have because that sounds really good. Um, cool. So the second book I want to suggest is one that I read a couple of years ago, I think maybe two, um, because I – this is going to make me sound like such a big nerd, but um, I always try to like pick my first books of the year to like set a tone for it. So uh, thinking about like what I'm trying to do in a year and picking a book, particularly a nonfiction kind of like self-help book that fits in with that. Um, and so this was from, I think, 2016 was the year that I read this book. It's called Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges by Amy Cuddy. Um, and this is a book that looks at links between our mind and our bodies and how we can use that connection to be more confident and more centered during um, particularly challenging moments. Um, And so at the time that this book came out, I think Amy Cuddy was kind of a big deal because she had done this TED talk about power poses. And basically like her research had showed that like before you go into, you know, a situation that you're nervous about or whatever, if you like do a power pose, like stand up straight, you know, flex your arms, like look and act confident in your body, like that translates into your brain and then you go into it more confident than you did. And so she did this TED talk about power poses and that was what everybody was talking about. But um, presence is actually a lot more than just that. Um, So in the context of the book, she describes presence as the state of being attuned to and able to comfortably express our true thoughts, feelings, values, and potential. 
Our search for presence isn't about finding charisma or extroversion or carefully managing the impression we're making on other people. It's about the honest, powerful connection that we create internally with ourselves. Uh, And so the book really goes like dives really deep into that idea, like this powerful connection we create with ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. Um, And so it explores different elements of presence, how you develop personal power and presence, and then how our body language shapes the way we think and feel in different ways. Um, And so it's kind of a book that's like a little bit like like Brene Brown, but then also a little bit about like meditation and yoga and some of the things that we get from those practices. Um, And I just thought when I read it, it was super interesting. And I was kind of skeptical about it because um, I was thinking like the thing with power poses seems kind of dumb. And I was like, I don't know if that's really a a thing, whatever. Um, But yeah, just the idea of like being attuned to and comfortably express ourselves. And like, so being able to identify what our thoughts and feelings are and then being comfortable enough in ourselves to identify them and um, express them to other people. I found that very um, interesting and helpful for some of the things I was thinking about at that time and kind of ongoing um, thinking about it. Um, It's just a very kind of helpful book about confidence and and yourself and everything like that. Um, And so I liked it a lot. So uh, that book is Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges by Amy Cuddy. I watched her power pose TED Talk back in the day. Um, I mm-hmm. feel like, and maybe this is wrong, I feel like she walked that back somewhat, um, like the actual research for it. That could be totally incorrect. But I will say, so, you know, I do musical theater and opera sometimes. So that, of mm-hmm. course, involves auditions and stuff. I have definitely done the power pose thing in the bathroom, which has been like <sighs> – uh, spreading out my arms like as wide out as possible and basically being like, I deserve to take up space. So it's not <laughs> like, it's not like power pose like Superman. It's very much just like, I can't like, uh, yeah, it's just the like, I deserve to, to be here yeah. and like inhabit a room. And, um, it's, I think it's more about this whole like self confidence, whatever. It's, I've done it and I think it's fine. Um, no, I think, I think I remember that TED talk too that like, when you d- kind of dial it down to a TED talk, it sort of says one thing, but the research is what the research actually says is a little bit not quite as um, clear as when you like, you know, distill it down to like a 15 minute TED talk. I think I remember that too. But um, even beyond like the power poses thing, I think there's a lot in the book that's really interesting. So, well, yeah. it's, this book is actually Presence is on my shelf and I've been meaning to read it for a while, but. Um, I always end up going with history books for nonfiction. <laughs> so this is, I'm so glad we're doing this segment because this is, I'm like, oh gosh, like self-help books are super actually helpful. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> they can be. They can be. They can be. Which leads us <laughs> to my yeah. other recommendation. Yes. Which, let's even talk about the word recommendation. Um, I feel like, number one, I thought that this book should be talked about because it was a number one bestseller for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And... My girlfriend read it. She was like, I think she did like the audiobook and she was like, um, I did it pretty quickly. I don't have an opinion yet. You should read it. So I am reading it. So this is Girl, Wash Your Face. Stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you are meant to be. That's the whole subtitle. By Rachel Hollis. It came out last year. Um, Kim has some thoughts on this, but real quick. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> Rachel, the, the copy says, Rachel exposes the 20 lies and misconceptions that too often hold us back from living joyfully and productively. Lies we've told ourselves so often we don't even hear them anymore. Um, she unpacks and examines the falsehoods that once left her feeling overwhelmed and unworthy and reveals the specific practical strategies that helped her move past them. One of the main messages that I like from this book is basically like, you are more than you currently are. Like you can't, and which I was talking to my girlfriend about last night. I was like, okay, so I, you know, I'm not very far in, but like this whole message about you are more than you are um, really resonated because like, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to think like you can be mm-hmm. anything more than you are at this moment. But if you look back on your past self, you're like, oh, I've <laughs> like grown and changed so much since then. So you're just like, oh, of course, why wouldn't I then carry that forward and just assume that that's going to keep happening? Um, but uh, Kim, <laughs> what what are your – you finished this whole book. What are your thoughts on it? I did, yeah. So I think there are parts of it that are very resonant and that are interesting. Um, she has a couple of chapters about um, – trauma and um, a trauma that she experienced when she was a teenager and how that trauma has affected her going forward and the the idea of but not allowing that trauma to um, dictate her life choices that I that I personally found very resonant um, so there's there's chapters that I really liked that I thought made a lot of sense um, the part that I struggled with and why I like have not really recommended this to people is because um, the chapters where she talks about uh, weight and food and exercise um, I, I just thought they were really kind of squicky and not particularly good Um if it seems to me that she has some issues with her has has some body image issues that she has not truly dealt with and so she makes a lot of statements about how like if you don't like the way like your weight just eat less and exercise more and then you'll be fine like and that is the answer and i just i don't think that that is true for everyone um and that like if that is a something that is not true for you, like her sort of dismissal of like people having other body issues that affect their weight and their health. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just felt like they were, th- those chapters were sort of particularly blind to other people's experiences. And I, in a way that I found very, um, just, just icky. I, I, that's the best word I can think of for it. Um, so like parts of it super resonant, but like that part just seemed so far off base to me that I have a hard time recommending it to people, but, um, parts of other parts are, I'll be curious what to hear what you think when you get done. If maybe I'm overreacting to that in some ways, I'm not really sure, but, um, I just, I didn't like that part of it very much at all. Um, see, I super appreciate you having already read it and being able to say that because I was, um, we were talking right before the recording and I was saying that I, again, I did feel like we should talk about this book because it's like January and people are going to be looking at self-help stuff. And this was such a big mm-hmm. bestseller that um, I'm glad yeah. that we can talk about sort of like the positives and negatives of it. Um, so yeah, if you, uh, if you're able to just skip those chapters um, <laughs> and look at the other parts and get some good from it, that's awesome. It is like a pretty readable book. She's very like folksy. Um, mm-hmm. So if you like that sort of thing, then go for it. Otherwise probably yeah. read presence or the bullet journal method. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, I liked the stuff that you mentioned, liking that, like the idea that like you can be more like there's no reason you can't like just do it. Um, but just like that, that doesn't translate necessarily to other parts of lives. But anyway, I'll be curious what other people think. Um, 
Yeah. And so with that, we're going to switch gears a little bit away from book recommendations specifically and maybe talk and talk a little bit about our own personal book and reading related uh, resolutions. Um, and I am the one who proposed this segment. Uh, and then I asked you if you set any reading resolutions. And I think your response was, I can set some. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm curious, like, have you just like, have you never set like reading goals and resolutions? Or do you just not set them at all or set them in other areas? Or like, what's your, I'm just curious. I think I have. Okay. So I used to be like, a big like TBR, like to be read. Okay. So, okay. Wait. <laughs> I always like jump off with assuming people know too much. So real quick, um, TBR, right. is like books that you have that you've been meaning to read. So it's your like to be read shelf or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's sort of languishing there. So, um, I have a lot of TBR titles and I keep buying more and then <laughs> getting books from the library and reading those instead. So yes, yeah, it's a problem. So I usually do that, but then I failed so many times that I have felt <laughs> uh, a, a little hesitant to continue with that goal. So, but I feel like this was a good push towards examining. I'm not going to say I don't have a TBR goal, but again, but uh, it's a push towards examining like other ways that I could um, push myself for reading for this year. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, I go back and forth on whether I like set reading goals and resolutions or not. Um, I set some for 2018 and I like achieved them and I was very excited. So then I was like, I'm going to set more for 2019. Um, and so I have, I have three main one, like new ones and then two that are like ongoing kind of always goals. Um, the two ongoing ones are to listen to 12 audiobooks, which is a goal I had for 2018 and I did, and it was awesome. So I want to try and do that again. But since I did it once, it feels like it's not really like a stretch goal. It's just sort of like a reading practice I want to get into. Um, and the other thing I always try and pay attention to, or I've started to pay attention to since I started working for Book Riot is uh, the diversity in my reading. So I really try to have like about 30 to 40% of the books I read written by people of color. Um, and that can be kind of hard sometimes because nonfiction is super white, uh, especially the like nonfiction I am into. Um, and so I, I end up with a lot of that in my fiction reading, I think is how I balance that out. But that's kind of an ongoing, just like reading practice I tried to do. The the goals that I set that are new for this year are I want to read 12 professional or personal development books. Um, and the reason I picked this one is because uh, 12 is a nice number. You can just pick one per month. But I buy like self-help and professional development books all the time. I have so many of them. And then I like never read them because it's always more fun to read something else, you know? Um, I mean, you just, so they just kind of sit there and languish. And I have a whole stack of them that are like writing, you know, development stuff about creativity, just stuff about like career and life, like all of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to read 12 of them that are on my shelves this year. Um, the second goal is another like TBR goal. Um, I'm going to try to read 40 books that are on my shelves right now. I have, I have so many books on my shelves right now. It's absolutely just it's ridiculous. Um, so I'm going to try to this year read 40 of them. Um, and I came up with that number actually, because I looked at my 2018 books and I figured out how many of them, from what I could tell were books that I read that I had on my shelves before the year started versus books that I bought new or got at the library or whatever. And it was about like 34 or 35 ish, depending on how you count it. Um, and if I counted right, so 40 
is a stretch from what I did this year, but it's not totally insane. So that would be pretty cool if I could read 40 books that I own today um, and get them, I don't know what, finished and out of my house or something. Um, And then the other goal kind of tied in with that is to only buy books from bookstores. Um, And the reason that this is a goal is because I, this is one I had for 2018 and I totally failed at like so hard. Um, (laughs) So hard. Um, So yeah, I used to buy a lot of books online because I lived in a town without a bookstore. So the only real way to get books was when I was in a bigger city that had a bookstore or to buy them online. So I bought a ton of books online then um, and I didn't feel too bad about it. Uh, But now I live in the Twin Cities and there are a ton of bookstores. There's a bunch of Arts and Nobles. There's a lot of independent bookstores, some really, really good ones in the Twin Cities. Um, So I really don't have any reason that I should be buying books online as much as I am. I I can go to a bookstore and I can buy them. uh, I know that's not an option for everybody, and I know that it's not really affordable option for a lot of people. So I, this is not a goal that I like judge other people for not having. But um, for personally for myself, like I can afford to do that, and I have the bookstore access to do it. So the goal is to when I want a book, buy it at a bookstore, not online anywhere. Um, so we'll see. Uh, one of those feels totally doable, and the other two feel like stretches. But I'm gonna really like. I'm going to try my best and report back in the future, hopefully. Um, but yeah, you have some funny goals written down that I want to ask you about too. So your turn. Okay. 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 I have a quick question though about your bookstore policy for this coming year. Well, first of all, congratulations on 40 books on your TBR goal. Uh, that's very intense in my brain. It is a, that is a stretch. Uh, that is going to be hard. (laughs) So what if, okay, for example, I have been looking for this book that is not in my library system and I can't find it locally so far. It is called Lilith the First Eve, Historical and Psychological Aspects of the Dark Feminine by Zygmunt Hurwitz. (laughs) That's so Alice. It's because I was watching (laughs) Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and it made me really interested in the historical uh, background of this. So, but I can't find it anywhere. So I'm trying not to buy it on Amazon. What is your recommendation then if you're like, I'm trying not to buy stuff online, but then it's like this weird book that no one has? Well, if that came up for me, I probably would then end up buying it online um, if I wanted it that badly because, um, yeah, I mean, if there's no other way to get it, then there's no other way to get it. Um, Have you tried though, like interlibrary loan? Um, In Minnesota, you can get books from any library in Minnesota, or I think a lot of libraries across the country through interlibrary loan, um, if the book is owned by some library somewhere. Um, so that might be an option. I could be um, wrong. But- I think that the Chicago Public Library might have like an onerous system for interlibrary loan, oh, but I also could, could be. just be making that up in my brain. Um, okay. So if, if, if I was a you in that situation, I probably would end up just buying it and counting it as uh, I did my best. Fantastic. I accept that. So my goals that I came up with after you said, let's set reading resolutions for the year uh, (laughs) were, okay, so number one, uh, I'm going to try to read three self-help books, which the reason that on our podcast sheet, I have UGG in parentheses next to you (laughs) is, um, I think I have like a 1990s, maybe not even 90s, maybe it's older. Um, My parents are old, so I was exposed to a lot of, like, 1950s media. Um, 
I think I have some weird hang up about self-help books where I, I am like judgy about them, but also I think they're genuinely helpful a lot of the time. So I need to just like get past that and try to actually read some. Um, but it's really hard to get past that initial hang up. So I'm going to mm-hmm. try to, I'm going to aim for three and I'm going to count the, um, how to break up with your cell phone book as one. And I'm very excited about finishing it. <laughs> so that's going to be You're off to a great start. Thank you so much. Uh, I also want to finish Martin Chuzzlewit. So um, my major in college was comparative literature uh, with a focus on 19th century British and French lit. It was very helpful for my current job. <laughs> um, so I focused a lot on Dickens and I have a very love-hate relationship, but I think it veers more towards love, unfortunately. But I also think he is like a dick. So um, anyway, I've been reading his books chronologically for years and the problem is i'm in like the unfortunate section where i'm like past oliver twist nicholas nickleby and like whatever and i'm in the like barnaby rudge martin chuzzlewit dombey and son section which no one likes so (laughs) barnaby rudge took me a couple years to finally finish because it's awful and then now I'm reading Martin Chuzzlewit, which is his book where like Dickens went to America and he hated it. And then he came back and he wrote a book where the character goes to America. So um, it's taken me a couple of years. I need to finally just finish it. I do love parts of it, as with all Dickens, but it's very long and needed to be edited down a lot. So <laughs> anyway, that's one. And then uh, I want to create a TBR shelf of 9 to 12 books I own and finish them all. That would be amazing if I could finally do that. And then um, kind of piggybacking off your uh, shopping at bookstores thing, my goal is to shop at Barnes & Noble's website when possible. I have a longstanding love of Barnes & Noble because I used to go to all of their Harry Potter midnight release parties. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want them to stay in business. I'm also very scared of Amazon sometimes. So I would prefer not to support them as it pertains to books um i think in other regards they're very helpful sometimes sure especially living in a big city because they do like prime now and all that kind of stuff which i was sick this Mm -hmm. and i used prime now to get groceries which was awesome but um for books i would rather support like an actual book company uh such as Barnes and Noble, which has like really good deals a lot of the time. And if you, <laughs> they have like coupons and I don't know, shop at Barnes and Noble or your, preferably your local bookstore, but you know, if you're doing online. Uh, so those are all of my uh, resolutions. Those are good goals. I mean, thank you for setting some. It'll be fun to maybe revisit them later in the year and see how we do. Uh, mine are big. I don't know if I'll be able to do it or not, but we'll just find out. All right. And so with that, we will conclude the podcast as we usually do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Um, And I'm going to let you go first, Alice. Oh, fantastic. So um, I am currently reading Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth by Reza Aslan. You might remember that like he got famous because there was this Fox News interview that was extremely racist and terrible about this book that was basically like, you're a Muslim. How are you writing about Jesus? Um, Oh, God. Oh, oh, yeah. If you weren't aware of it, it's terrible. So um, I decided to finally read it because I I – I am a uh, pretty liberal Christian, but I'm still a Christian. I went to this uh, Christian high school and I was, that was a large part of my life in my teens. And um, I feel like in terms of actual scholarly research or just knowledge about um, the Bible, I've, I've fallen off a lot. So for that's, I guess that's another 2019 resolution is I would like to 
learn more about background stuff. So I decided to pick this up because it was pretty easy and had been um, talked about a lot. That being said, so it is really interesting in terms of giving you background on first century life in Palestine. Um, I did not know a lot of the um, sort of context for like what um, the cities were nearby, sort of like for Nazareth and what the political climate was like and what happened after Jesus's death. And like, that's all been fascinating. That being said, read the book with a grain of salt because um, I did some research about sort of responses to the book, which I think you always have to do, especially with this kind of subject matter. And I read some really reasonable um, scholarly sort of responses saying basically that he represents himself as um, basically his, his academic background is not quite what he says it is, or at least the way that he's sort of presenting it. And he takes hmm. some sources as like, definite fact, which apparently most scholars in the actual field are like, no. <laughs> so huh. yeah, like he talks about Josephus and he's like, well, Josephus says this. So this was the actual thing. And scholars are like, Josephus had his own agenda. So um, I think basically like the some of the conclusions he makes are, are a little too much. But again, um, he does a really, he's a, he's a professor of like creative writing. So he's, he does a very good job of like making it very readable and fun. And, um, and it is interesting to kind of see Jesus presented, um, in this very different light. So I'm enjoying it. What, uh, what are you reading? Yes. So I am reading my, my nonfiction professional development book to start the year. Um, and it is called Awakening Your Ikigai, How the Japanese Wake Up to Joy and Purpose Every Day by Ken Mogi. Um, and so I am, I continue to be very fascinated by all of those books that are about like words in other languages that we don't have, that we don't have words for. Um, like every time I see one, I just want to like read it because I think that's such an interesting thing. Um, and so this is one I got last year that I didn't read, um, but that is about, um, yeah, finding purpose and making the most out of every day. So it looks at this Japanese concept, which focuses on, um, ways of, of becoming your authentic self by starting small, focusing on details, by releasing yourself and accepting who you are, by finding harmony and sustainability, um, by relying on other people, uh, finding joy in little things and being in the here and now. Um, and so it's just kind of all about that and how the Japanese um, embody this idea and ways that you can embody it in your own life and um, stuff like that. So it's not super practical. Like it's a lot of storytelling and examples and stuff like that, but it's just a slim little book and um, it's kind of helping set the year off in a way that I'm finding very helpful. So um, yeah, it's just a, just kind of a little self-development book, I guess. Um, not super, super, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but anyway, so it was awakening your icky guy. I hope I said that right. I forgot to look it up before we started talking. Uh, so awakening your icky guy, how the Japanese wake up to joy and purpose every day by Ken Moki. Uh, and that is what I am reading at this very moment. So, uh, with that, we have reached the end of our first podcast of 2019. Hooray. Yay. Yay. We have, we have done it. Oh, and right. I, this happens every single time. I apologize, <laughs> listeners. So if you can, I'm always like, yep, we're done. Oh, right. I talk about where you can find us online. 2019 is not starting any differently. Uh, so you can find us on social media. Um, on Twitter, I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. 
And if you uh, like the podcast, please go give us a rate and review on iTunes, uh, which is a way that people can help find the podcast more easily. And uh, while you're there or in the podcast app of your choice, you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute they come out. Uh, So with that, I am Kim Ukera. And I'm Alice Burton. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.